1 Samuel chapter 8, and uh, I want to um, um, just look at a, a, a story here, and I don't have the time, obviously, to read uh, all of these um, chapters in between verse 8 and verse, or chapter 8 and chapter 17, but in chapter 8 of 1 Samuel, let me just give you the background of it, and um, then we'll read a, a few verses here in this chapter. In chapter number 8, Samuel is the judge of Israel, and um, he is, he is uh, the priest and a judge, and the Bible tells us this, that he's old, he's not able to continue to do the duties that he uh, had done previously for all the years there in Israel. And so Samuel had a couple sons, and their, his sons uh, began to do the office that Samuel was doing, and um, the problem is this, though, the Bible tells us in verse 3 of chapter number 8, and his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and bribes and perverted judgment. And then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel and Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. The people came before Samuel and said, Samuel, this is what we want. Your sons aren't who you are. And we don't desire for them to lead us and judge us because their, their judgments are perverted. They're, they're wicked men. And so their solution was to have a king. They began to tell Samuel, Samuel, we desire a king like all the other nations. And the Bible then goes through this chapter. And, 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 and we find where Samuel kind of wrestles with this back and forth and then reveals it to the Lord, and the Lord wrestles with this as well, and he says to Samuel, Samuel, they've not rejected you, they've rejected me. This is, this is not because of what you have done, this is, they don't trust me. I want you to remember that God's desire was to be their king. His desire was to be, uh, to rule over them and to judge them. He didn't desire to set up a king where they would follow, he wanted his people to follow him. He said to Samuel, they're rejecting my plan. Give them a king. And Samuel tries to talk them out of it. And in, in, um, uh, look with me in verse number 11. Samuel speaking to the people, to the congregation. He says, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He'll take your sons and appoint them to himself and, and for his chariots and to be his horsemen. And what he's saying is they're going to work for him. He's going to take your children and they're going to work for him. He's going to work them hard. He's going to appoint captain, captains over thousands and over fifties, and he'll set the, them to ear his ground and to reap his harvest. And so what he's saying is all the work that your family is doing for you, he's going to take your, your laborers, and they're going to work for him, and he's going to benefit. He's, he's going to take your daughters, and, and they're going to serve him. They're going to cook and serve him. He said he's going to take your fields your vineyards, your olive yards. He's going to take the best of them and give you what he doesn't want. He's going to take a tenth of your seed. So no matter what you do grow, a tenth of it's going to be his and he's going to take it and, and your vineyards and, and everything you have, he's going to take. Your manservants, your maidservants, anything good, he's going to take for himself. He said he's going to take a tenth of your sheep and you shall be his servants. 
And, and, and then he says in verse number 18, and, and, and there's going to come a day that you're going to see all this that I'm talking to you about, and, and you're going to see this king which ye have chosen you, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. You're going to cry out. You're going to realize, you know what, Samuel, you knew what you were talking about. The Lord's not going to hear you. And you would think, you would think that after all of this that uh, uh, Samuel's warning of the people, they'd, they'd listen to this and they would say, it sounds uh, to me like life is going to change for the worse. And so maybe we ought to rethink this thing and getting a king. We find the, the Bible says this in verse number 19, nevertheless, the people refuse to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said this to Samuel, nay, but we will have a king over us. And look what their thought is. No matter what Samuel tried to say, that we also may be like all the nations. Well, this was a sad day in Israel because God set them apart. The people of Israel were never supposed to be like all the other nations. It wasn't going to be a king that was going to deliver the people out of, out of uh, 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 the, the, the uh, hand of an enemy king. It was God that was going to do it. God didn't want there to be a, a king where the king got the credit for what God wanted to do. God wanted to deliver them. I want you to be reminded as they were coming out of Egypt, it wasn't a king, it wasn't Moses that caused the plagues, it was God that caused those plagues. It wasn't Moses that, that got the, 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 the walls of the Red Sea to, to, the, to part and walk over on dry uh, ground. It was God that got the credit for that and got the glory for that. It wasn't Moses, it wasn't a man that got the credit for the manna and the quail on the ground when they came out of their tent. It was God that supplied for them. It wasn't Moses, the one that put the cloud in the sky to, to give them shade and to direct them in the wilderness. It was God that put that there for them. And so from the beginning of this time of, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all through the history of Israel, God was the one that was receiving glory. And now they said, give us a king. We want to be like every other nation. And look with me as well as the Bible says, this king is going to judge us in verse number 20. He's going to go out before us. He's going to fight our battles. That was everything that God already said he'd do for him. And they wanted a man. Something interesting, as I was studying through and reading through this book, and I came to this chapter and this verse, and I saw where they said, and the king would fight our battles. My mind automatically went to 1 Samuel 17 when they have a king. Just, just nine or so chapters later, not a whole lot of time later, they've got a king. The king's name is Saul. The Bible tells us he's head and shoulders above all the rest of the men. He, uh, uh, they, they made him king, and, and he is now leading them into battles. Remember, the king was going to fight for us. He was going to go in and out. He was going to judge us. He was going to take us to battle, and the king was going to get the victory. Well, guess what? Not very much time has gone by, and now they find themselves, the Bible says in verse number 1 of chapter 17, now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle. In verse number two, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together. In verse number three, and the Philistines stood on a mountain 
on one side and Israel stood on the other side. There was a valley between them. There was a great, in verse 4, there was a, went out a champion of the camp of Philistines named Goliath. In verse number 8, he stood and cried into the armies of Israel and said to them, Why are ye come out to set battle in array? Am, I, am not I a Philistine and ye the servants of Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve him. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Isn't that man supposed to be Saul? I mean, isn't that what Israel desired? Wasn't that what Israel just a few chapters earlier said, this is why we need a king because we need someone to fight for us? And now here we find the king, Saul. He brings his army to battle the armies of the Philistines. In this, in this, in this uh, 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 valley, there was a man that would come out. His name was Goliath, his giant. He would come out. He's begging them, send me a, a man to fight. And the Bible says when, in verse number 11, when, when Saul, who was the king, and all of Israel heard those words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Whatever happened to your king, Israel? David comes and the Bible tells us that he is coming to meet his brothers here. He was the youngest. In verse number 14, his three eldest followed Saul. David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistines drew near morning and evening and presented him. The, the Philistine drew near, speaking of, of, of uh, Goliath drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. And this is where I just thought, here's a king. The people said, we need this king. The king they have now, they have this king, and for 40 days and 40 nights, instead of leading his, his people to victory, he runs scared. Every time Goliath comes out, he runs and hides. The entire Israelite army is hiding over one man. I don't understand. Why, why would one man cause so much fear? How can one giant cause an entire nation to stand still? Why, why, why doesn't this king of Israel, the mighty nation of Israel, why doesn't he take and battle this, this giant? The Bible tells us that David arose in verse number 20. He rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse, Jesse's his father, had commanded him and came to the trench as a host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And he talked with them. Behold, the, came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. And so we find David 
leaves his father's sheep. He comes by orders of his father. I want you to go and carry this food to your brothers and see how they're doing. Come back and give me this report. And David is walking through, walking up to this army. He's come to the place where the armies have gathered. He says to those that have come with him, the keeper of the carriage, he says, I want you to stay here. I'm going to go in. I'm going to meet at my brethren. He comes to his, his brethren. He salutes them. He says hi to them, hugs and, 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 and brings him greetings from the home. And while he's doing these things, the Bible says this, this champion of, of Gath, this Goliath, comes out into this plain, this valley. He does what he's done for the last 40 days, curses God. Now, David probably sees this happening. He's probably thinking in his heart in the beginning, who's going to go fight this guy? My older brothers are here and all the armies, the great army and, and the great king, Saul. That's why we have a king. He is here and I'm going to see a battle take place here. And what David sees instead is cowards running and hiding and David is looking around like this guy here he's cursing God he's cursing you he's cursing Israel and you're running he's looking around and they're all gone and David, something stirs up in, in David's heart and David begins to talk and, and begins to ask questions he says why are, they, why are you so afraid? In, in, in verse number 25, the men of Israel said, Have you seen the man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel he has come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him and the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. They said, Haven't you seen and heard of this giant Goliath? The Philistines have come, and they've surely come now. They want to destroy us. Their whole purpose now is to destroy Israel. And the king said, the king said, if somebody will go and fight this Goliath, then there's going to be a wedding. How many of you got up early and watched the, the wedding there in England? Anybody get up early? A couple of you? No, wasn't that a nice wedding? David was promised that same wedding. David, you're going to be made a prince. You're going to marry a princess or whoever will this Again, what confuses the thought here is this. This is what Saul was supposed to do. No one else was supposed to fight this giant. Remember they said, give us a king that he can fight for us. And the king now is coward and not standing where he should be standing. And it takes a young man who's supposed to be off uh, uh, watching his, his, his father's sheep. But he comes and he hears what's happening. And, and, he, and, he, and he says in verse number 29, he says, and, and, and what have I done now? He's referring to Eliab, his oldest brother. His oldest brother in verse number 28 said this to him. He said, David, you just came to see a battle. You belong back at the house. You don't belong here. You are just prideful and and, and you're arrogant, and you got this naughty heart. Just go back where you came from. What he was saying is this. This is a man's job. Let us handle this. You go home. And when David sees this, he says in verse number 29, what have I done? Is there not a cause? You know, as I think about this passage of Scripture, I think of the world we're living in. It's, it's forever changing, isn't it? We live in a changing world. 
One nation this, just this past week in Ireland, I believe it was, voted to, to allow or legalize abortions in their country. Can you believe that? We live in a country that the only way that this country gives aid to third world nations if they, legal, they have to legalize abortion. I mean, we not only live in a changing world, we live in a changing America. And in many ways, the church has suffered. It suffers because maybe at times and places in this world, there's religious persecution. But in many places, in an attempt to keep the people in here in the United States and in free countries, we've weakened the message. And in doing so, I'm afraid that we've caused the church to become anemic. The church isn't standing like it once stood. It's not standing for what it used to stand for. And there are great giants that are facing the church. There's great giants that we're facing in, the, in, in, in Christianity today. But sometimes I believe this. We see the external problem and we fail to realize, though, that the external problem is there because of an internal problem. The reality is this. Goliath wasn't the problem. Goliath was a giant. But the only reason that this giant stood there for 40 days and 40 nights and, 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 and mocked God and cursed God and cursed Israel wasn't because Goliath was such a giant. It's because the king wasn't the king he was supposed to be. It's because the army weren't the army that God desired for them to be. You see, it looked like there was this external problem. It looked like Goliath was the problem. But the reality was there were some internal problems happening in Israel. There were some internal problems happening within the king. There were some internal problems happening within the men of Israel. And that's why Goliath got away with what Goliath got away with. It wasn't that Goliath couldn't be defeated because we know the end of this chapter, David took these five stones and he took one and put it in a sling and he, and he slung that sling around and that one stone went up in the air and the giant came tumbling down, right? You know that song? So we know the giant wasn't the problem. So what was the problem? problem, I believe, is the same problems that we face today, why we are weak in areas, why the Christians aren't standing for Christian values. It's the reason why homes, Christian homes that should be pillars in the community are, are crumbling. It's why uh, fathers and husbands, instead of being the godly husbands they're supposed to be, they're crumbling. In the, instead of mothers being godly moms and becoming, uh, being filled with the Spirit, they're crumbling. Instead of us having homes in our community that stand out instead of us being salt, instead of us being light, the reason why we're not is not because there's too many giants. It's because there's something wrong. And it took a David to come. And when David came, David exposed a few things about Israel that I believe it's important for us to see. Because on this Memorial Day weekend, I realize that we congratulate and we honor and we love and we show support for those that serve our country and those that have given their life for our country. But I want to yield to you this this morning that as Christians we have a greater country and that's heaven. We have the heavenly kingdom that we stand for and that we fight for and that we live for. 
And as they world in our country, it seems like it's going against Christianity and fighting against the, our faith. Just in our own country, there is a, an issue happening, and I've mentioned this the last several weeks, and we need to be praying about this because what happens in one state, it usually begins to creep into other states, but there's a, 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 a bill that's happening in California now that would, would essentially, what it would do is it would cause it to be illegal to sell a Bible in the state of, of California. Because the Bible would be talking about something that they would consider negative or a hate crime. It'd be illegal for a pastor to counsel a child that says, I think I want a boy, says I think I want to be a, a girl, or a girl says I think I want to be a boy. It'd be illegal for a pastor to counsel them otherwise. That's happening in America. Just in our own, in our own city, in the, in the Toledo area, we realize this. We are looking at a at, uh, 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 situation where there are abortions that are taking place on a weekly basis in our community, in our nation. Now in our world, countries are changing their laws. And I, I read an article that said that the nation of, uh, the, the citizens of, of, of Ireland are defying the church voted to allow abortions in their nation. Pornography is just out of control. A multi-billion dollar ministry, uh, uh, I said ministry, it's not a ministry, a multi-billion dollar sinful act is what it is. Multi-billion dollar. And it's creeped into Christian homes. Divorce rate is on the rise. Suicide rate is on the rise. Teenage pregnancy is on the rise. They say this in our, in our country now that the average 11-year-old, 11-year-old, is now involved in some kind of physical sexual relationship. 11-year-old in our country. You look at all those things, and I would say this, we need a David to stand. It's not a time for a church to be weakened anymore. It's not a time for us to cower, and, and when, 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 when a giant comes out, and, and a giant screams, and a giant curses God, and a giant of Goliath, he, he begins to curse God's people, it's not a time for God's people to run and cower and hide. I find this, I want to say to you, first of all, here, there was a problem that David realized and David brought out, and that problem was this, that the king himself wasn't willing, nor could he recruit others to fight this battle. I believe this, maybe some were just fearful, some they may have remembered just a few chapters earlier as we read, maybe they remember this is exactly what Samuel warned us would happen. He told us if we were to get a king that there was going to come a day that we were going to cry out. Imagine all of those that were there sitting on that hillside as Goliath would come out and, and, and probably wondering in their heart, why doesn't our king do something about this? Why doesn't our king, why doesn't Saul put his armor on and go fight that battle? Why doesn't he lead us? If he goes, I'll go. 
Listen, we live in a society today where I'm afraid that the leadership isn't what it's supposed to be. And we need strong leaders in our Christian community. We need strong leaders in our church. We need strong fathers in our Christian homes. We need strong mothers in our Christian home. We need strong teenagers in our Christian homes that'll rise up, that'll say this, that I'm gonna lead. I'm gonna fight the battles that need to be fought. I'm gonna go against the things that defy our God. I'm gonna stand for what's right. And I'm gonna be a David in society today. We need that more than ever. David realized and he brought out this reality the king didn't have a whole lot of strength. What he showed us this is the king wasn't the answer God is. The king wasn't where you draw strength from. It's God. David here we find in for sake of time we won't read through this entire passage of scripture but we find that David he goes before the king they begin to talk and the king says who is that that you're talking about and they bring David and David uh, stands before the king the king says you're just but a youth and he says oh I might be but a youth but I want to remind you oh king that I was there caring for my father's sheep and, 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 a, and a bear came when that bear came I killed that bear and a lion came when that lion came I killed that lion oh king I can kill that that Philistine. Who do you think that Philistine is? He wasn't saying that I've got all kinds of strength. He wasn't saying that I've got all kinds of might. What he said is this, that I, with God's help, can destroy this giant. Oh, would God to give us uh, leaders, men and women in our churches, in Christian, our faith today, that would stand and say, not by my strength, or not by my might, but by God's strength, and by God's might, I'm going to stand against the giants in this world today. We need someone that'll stand. Number two, we find this. David, David revealed some other things about the heart, the inward flaw of what's happening in Israel at this time. Here we find the people. The people were there. They were there at battle. They put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his, car uh, his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. As he talked with them, behold, there came up a champion, this Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they, were saw, they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. What's interesting to me is this. They came to this battle. They came to fight. The Bible says it was army against army. They were in array. Meaning this, they were going to be ready to fight. And when Goliath came out, when this giant came out, they fled. You know what he realized this? That many of the people are ready for the army, ready for battle. They're ready for war. But they're not ready for the sacrifice that comes with it. Oh, listen to me, I pray that God... In our church, and churches like this around this country and around this world... Give us people that are willing to sacrifice. Yesterday, we had one of our church members. One of our church members had a graduation party, and they used the chapel for that, and had a lot of people come through, and they said, boy, this is a nice, nice facility, nice place, and beautiful facility. Some maybe haven't been here in a while, and others, others that uh, had first time been here, they complimented the facilities, and the reality is this, they didn't just pop up overnight took sacrifice. It took people giving. It took people serving. 
See, it took people soul winning. It took people inviting their friends. It took people inviting their, their, their coworkers. It took people with a heart saying this, I'm, gonna get, I'm not just going to get into the battle. I'm willing to sacrifice in this battle. I'm willing to give in this battle. I'm willing to do more in this battle. And what we find is David revealed there was, there was enough people that were there for the battle, but they were lacking people that were willing to sacrifice. I want to submit to you this, every great church, behind every great church, there's a group of people that are willing to sacrifice for that church. Between the cause of Christ, behind the cause of Christ, there was someone that's greatly willing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ. One of my favorite books that I've read, and I read often, I'll kind of breeze through it at times, is Fox's Book of Martyrs. And as I read that book, I think, I think of all those that have given their life for the cause of Christ. And sometimes I wonder what I, what I sacrifice, what these families have sacrificed. Would I, would I continue to say that I love Jesus and, I, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm saved and I believe in the precious blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to be the payment for my sin? Would I believe that if someone was standing next to my wife with a gun to her head? Oh, listen to me, there are people that have stood for the cause of Christ throughout the generations before us. They've taken their families, they've taken their children, and they've taken a, a, a man's wife and lined them up in front of this man and said this, denounce Christ now or I'll begin to kill your children. Only for that man to say, I can't denounce Christ. He's my Savior. He's the one that went to the cross. He gave me eternal life. And they start with the youngest and begin to kill that man's children. And each one that he, they'd kill, they'd say, denounce Christ, or the next one dies. And he stands there saying, no, I'll never denounce Christ. And they get to the place where he's watched his children die, only now to watch his wife die. Boy, it takes courage and it takes sacrifice. And I read of stories of those that have given their life for Christ. I think of some of the apostles that gave their life for Christ, those that were burned at the stake. I, I, I think of those that they were burned alive because they wouldn't denounce Christ. I think of those that were used as human torches in the streets of Rome because they wouldn't denounce Christ. I think of those who as the soldiers would come in and they, their, their wives and their daughters would be raped in front of them and killed in front of them because they wouldn't denounce Christ. But we have many that say, I want to be a part of the army. My friend, are you willing to sacrifice? This world needs Jesus Christ more than ever. Million, billion upon billions upon billions upon billions live in this world today. And they say this, some three and a half billion people have never even heard the name of Jesus. Three and a half billion people have never heard that Jesus saves. 
Three and a half billion people have never heard that Jesus Christ, that God loves them, and that God sent His Son Jesus into this world, that Jesus went to the cross, that He paid their sin debt, that He shed His blood, and that blood was applied to the mercy seat, and God forgave all mankind of their sin because of, of, of that blood that Jesus Christ shed. He was placed in the grave. He rose again. He conquered hell. He conquered death. And some three and a half billion people in our world today have never heard that. Is it too much to sacrifice? To send missionaries to a world where they've never heard of Jesus? Chloe, my youngest, every day if I would take her, she would wants a bubble tea. How many of you ever had a bubble tea? Don't waste your money. Come to my house. I'll make one for you. $5 for a bubble tea. They're just getting our kids used to paying $5 for a drink, so when they get older, they pay $5 for a cup of coffee, right? Every week, she says, Dad, will you take me to get a bubble tea? And many a time, she's learned you ask when Dad's really busy, because when he's real busy, he says yes. He doesn't even know what he says yes to. Did you ever do that? Yes. Later on after school, Dad, you told me you were going to take me today to get a bubble tea. I said, I, what? Yeah, remember I asked you last night when you were busy and real busy, not paying attention to me? That's when I know to ask you. You said yes. You're not a dad that's going to lie, are you? Yesterday, yesterday I took Chloe to get a $5 bubble tea. Gone in just a few minutes the things that we'll spend our money on, the things that we'll enjoy. And there's people that need Jesus Christ. The reality is this, it isn't that we lack the finances, it isn't that we lack the resources, it isn't that there's a giant in the, in the middle of the valley that's causing us not to see three and a half million people come to know Christ. The reality is this, it's not the giant's problem, it's us. We're not willing to sacrifice. We're not willing to obey. We're not willing to do what we're supposed to do. We're not willing to give. We're not willing to serve. Listen, me in the church, I believe this. There should never be a, an, uh, an opportunity that goes missed that someone could be serving in. I believe that God has placed the right people in the right place, in the right church to serve Him. And when the right people at the right place do the right thing, He gets glory. God puts you here to serve. He puts you here to be involved. He puts you here to sing or teach or serve. I was so excited this morning. I was walking across from my office, and my, I was hot the minute I walked out of my office. I'm walking across. I'm putting my jacket on, and there in the middle of the parking lot, I'm thinking how hot it is to walk from the building across the street over to here, how I'm sweating, and I saw a couple guys standing in the middle of the parking lot with these vests on, directing traffic, helping people uh, where to park, and I said, thank God for people that are willing to serve. I walked across, and, and there they are with the doors open, letting all the air out of the building as they're coming in and shaking hands and giving bulletins. And I said, thank God they're there willing to serve. Came in and this morning saw some teenagers here playing the guitar and sitting on a box and singing and Whatever else was going on up here. And I said to myself, thank God 
for young people willing to serve. And I walked across, and there were people at the soundboard, and people getting ready to, 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 to get on the cameras, and singers up here singing, and piano players playing, and guitarists strumming. And what do guitarists do? They picking and grinning. Whatever they do, they were doing it really, really well up here today. And I just said, thank God for people willing to sacrifice and serve. This morning at 9.30, I preached an entire message. I didn't hear one baby cry. And I know there's a room full of babies crying somewhere on this property. But there's ladies that are willing to sit and serve. I saw Paul Taylor walking across the parking lot today. This morning, he had a whole bunch of curriculum, and he's delivering some curriculum to some, some uh, Sunday school teachers and, and, and uh, getting them ready to teach and, and giving them the, the curriculum to teach. And I, I just thought to myself, praise God, there's a teacher that's going to get that curriculum, that's going to pray for some children, that's going to teach some curriculum, uh, teach to, to, to these, these children. Praise God, there's someone willing to sacrifice and serve. There's adult teachers that were getting ready to teach class this morning. There's ushers that came and served this morning. All I'm simply saying to you is this. There's an opportunity to serve. Some are using the excuse as a giant. They say, no, there's a giant in the valley, and that giant's causing me not to serve. No, the giant's not the problem. The problem is this. You're not willing to sacrifice. Because a giant can be destroyed. Because that giant's not greater than God. That giant's not more powerful than God. I want you to know that giant is just something of this world, but we serve a living God. The Bible still says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. And when, when David looked out and David saw that giant, he didn't say, oh my, that giant is big. Oh my, I don't think I can help. He said, my God that delivered me out of the hand of the lion. My God that delivered me out of the hand of the bear. My God that delivered me out of the hand of those that were going to come against me. It's the same God that's going to take that stone and that stone's going to be aimed at that giant's head. And that giant is going to be destroyed because of God's help. And listen to me, there's not a giant in your life. There's not a giant in your life that God can't conquer if you'd be willing to sacrifice. I like that statement that David says, and David said, what have I now done? In verse number 29, he says, is there not a cause? Listen to me, there's a cause to sacrifice. There's a cause to get involved in the fight. There's a cause, and... Their cause is Jesus Christ. And lastly, I want you to see this morning, and I'm done. Lastly, I want you to see this. In verse number 25, And the man of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. You know what the problem here is? They made it all about themselves. David's not interested in the material things. David's not interested in all the things that he's going to get. David's interested in glorifying God. Sometimes the Goliaths are there. The reason they're there is because we're interested in the wrong things. We're worried about the wrong things. 
our mind and our want and our desires are on the wrong things. We need to keep our mind and our desires upon the things of heaven. We need to be uh, thinking about the things of Jesus, exalting his name. I tell you, we would see everything differently if we saw it through Jesus Christ. We would see our talents differently. We would see our service differently. We would see our finances differently if we saw them instead of what I can get out of this, instead of what is in it for me, instead if we saw it as how can Jesus Jesus Christ be glorified with my talents? How can Jesus Christ be glorified with my riches? How can Jesus Christ be glorified with my time? If we saw every obstacle of how can I use this as an opportunity that Jesus Christ receives glory, there'd be no giants left. Oh, this morning I, I plead with you. plead with you that you'd be a David. That you'd realize this, there's no giant in your life that can stop you. The only reason it does is because you choose to let it.